Well, hello, and welcome back to another scary, scary edition of Ghost Stories Told from the South. I am your host, Stephen LeBooth, and I've got some creepy, creepy stuff for you today. Ooh, well, hope everybody's doing great. I'm fine. I didn't do a video today. I'm sorry, but I am going to next uh, episode. <laughs> so don't hate me for it. Oh, and I want to say thank you to everybody. My numbers just keep growing. It's, it, the show's getting bigger, and it's awesome. So appreciate you for that. Thank you all, man. You're wonderful. And don't forget, you can check us out on pretty much any platform now where you can get podcasts. We're on there. And don't forget to go uh, keep checking out the YouTube page and uh, be a subscriber. Like right now. I know you're listening to this, and I got a podcast channel that I put this on. So if you're listening to it on the YouTube, hit that subscribe button. But I hope everybody's doing great. I'm feeling good. Life couldn't be better. Got some good, nice, cool, spooky weather. So I'm enjoying it because it's pumpkin spice and everything nice. But I hope you guys have been getting uh, ready for Halloween and dressing your houses up. That's what I think is cool. They got so much stuff to decorate your house now. So it's freaking awesome. I decorated mine the first weekend of uh, October because I couldn't wait. <laughs> but anyways, I hope you guys are having a good time. You're being safe and uh, just being good. But uh, without further ado, I guess we'll get on getting on with the uh, stories. And once again, I don't know why. Uh, all these are axe murder stories. So it ought to be a good time. Well, let's get on with the show. Our first story is the story of the Valaska Axe Murders, the Axe Murder House. Uh, anyways, the story of the Valiska Axe Murder House Massacre in the U.S. One of the worst house massacres in the U.S., I should say. Valeska, the Valeska Axe Murderer House in the U.S. is in a historical home that will invent, invite tourists to uncover the mystery of the past and the mysteries in the massacre. Now this house is invaded by many tourists who are curious about the story. Why, sorry if you hear that growling. That's my dog's playing in the studio. Get out of here. Hey, knock it off. I'm recording. Go outside if you want to do that. While this house was so popular because there was a murder that happened there, and one of the tools used to commit the horrendous murders was an axe. Let me stop this real quick. All right, let's stop. Let's uh, try this again. Okay, where was I? Okay, the tool, the tool was an axe. Okay. Tools are actually used for positive perp or used for a positive uh, a positive purpose, where used to kill the lives of others. For example, in the axe murders of of Valeska, of the Valeska case, all the victims died from being killed using an axe. Early chronology of the axe murders of the Valeska mystery. 
Valeska is a town in the northwest U.S. state of Iowa, where the Moores family lived there. 43-year-old Joshua and 39-year-old Sarah. They have their uh, children, 11-year-old Herman, 10-year-old Mary, and 7-year-old Arthur, and 2-year-old Paul. Well, you know what they like to do. The Morris family was a religious family and well-liked by the locals. On June 10th of 1912, the Moors, who had just attended an event at the church, invited two girls who were also uh, participating in the event to uh, stay there at their, to come spend the night with their kids. They were Ina Stelger, Stegler, uh, Ina Stelgler, eight-year-old, and Lena Stelgner, 12, year, 12 years old. They arrived at the Moore's residence at 10 o'clock. They got in a little bit late that night. At 7 a.m. the following day, Mary Pecam was uh, astonished that her neighbor had not been out doing her usual activities. Pecam then knocked on the door of the, of the Moore's house, but there was no answer. She tried to open the door, but it was locked. Out of curiosity, she called uh, Rosemore, Joshua's brother. They both called them out, but still no response. Rose brought a uh, duplicated key to the Morris family home, then opened the front door. Pinkham uh, waited on the porch while Rose walked into the house. Rose, who entered, saw the guest room door closed. He opened the door and found the bodies of the uh, Stingler girls uh, murdered. Rose had Pecam contact the uh, or contact Hank Horton, who works as a law enforcement officer in the area. Horton came into the house and found all the Moore family had been killed by using by or ugh. the Moore family had been killed by being slashed. The axe used by the uh, offender was later found in the guest room. The doctor who came to check the victim's condition stated that the murder occurred between midnight and 5 o'clock in the morning. Two cigarette butts were found in the attic, confirming that the killer potentially waited, on the, uh, at, waited in the attic until all of his victims fell asleep. And being in the attic, he could know that because he could be right over everybody's room and hear them. The Moors... Uh, Conridge began with entering Josh and Sarah's sleeping room. Joshua became the first, the victim with the most uh, severe injuries to his face until until two of his eyeball eyeballs disappeared. Oh my God! After the killer went killer went into the children's room and took out all the Moore's children. The killer ended the ended his act by going into the guest room and killing the. Uh, two girls that were spending the night and then they went and got the mother and the father the killer of the axe murderer mystery has not been yet found in addition to the events of the murder error there were some uh, discrepancies found at the crime scene all right now here are here is some more here's some uh 
<clears throat> this is what happened, and they never really found the person who did it. Now, the next story is uh, the uh, haunting and stuff, I believe. For many years, the house had a history of being haunted. The paranormal claims of this of these of this small three-bedroom house and a small town of Valeska include shadows, apparitions, voices, and moving items to just uh, feeling beer, uh, being watched all the time. All the uh, time, or being watched all the time. I had the chance to go investigate the, the historic and haunted house in the uh, summer of 2012 with some friends. We got to the uh, Valeska when we got to Valeska, it was a nice and sunny summer day. We met up with Johnny Hoser, who runs uh, the tours and the investigations at the house at the museum that was well, that was of the uh, houses houses in town. Then we moved to the cemetery where family where the family and the uh, Stingler girls were buried to pay our respects. Then we uh, finally arrived at the house. Still a good-looking day, maybe a few dark clouds. Nothing was warning us of what was going to happen shortly uh, after arriving. The uh, caretaker gave us a tour of the house, and after that, he left us for the night. We started to set up equipment throughout the house. Uh, Charlie and I went up to the attic. While in the attic, we both heard our names being said in our ears, which we were both which we both heard. Shortly after we, shortly after shortly after, when everyone was in the uh, parlor outside of the bottom floor bedroom, we started to hear ping, 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 and uh, noticed it started to rain which uh, fastly turned into quarter-plus-size hell. Within seconds, we had windows breaking and flying and flying into the uh, windows breaking and flying to the house. We all ran into the kitchen to look out the screen door. The hell continued to smash the original windows in the house on the one side of the house. I remember calling Johnny and... I remember calling Johnny and he not believing what I was saying because he was in town over, over uh, oh, just over the way and uh, he he did not believe them. He did not believe what I was seeing because where he was, it wasn't doing anything. Uh, that is weird though. How one side of town you got a terrific storm and on the other side of town it's nice. We all were freaked out because there are eight of us and eight people killed in the house. We had no idea that we got our what we got ourselves into. It finally died down, and we went to the barn in the yard to wait for Johnny to arrive to cover up the windows so we could could, could continue our investigation. When waiting for him to arrive, we caught a lot of our evidence when the house was empty. During that time, our records had captured the most shocking and chilling EVP. At uh, EVP, that time our records had ca- or captured EVP. During that time of what sounds like one of the girls, 
getting attacked and I during that or and I screaming in the murder I hate it when it does that. Oh, screaming in the murder. <coughs> Excuse me. When expected expressed activity that was believed to be in the children's playing room with the balls, we brought the first floor bedroom or we yeah, brought brought it into the first floor bedroom. Mary uh, of us did not want to return to the second floor. Johnny still calls that night the worst thing that happened to the house since the murders. I haven't even been back to the house since that I remember, but I plan to return to uh, face what was in that house again. So, after a, like I've always said, after a big murder like that, man, that place is probably just, it's all them poor people's souls that got killed there. And there might be some evil still left there, too. You never know. You never know. Dun, 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 dun. All right, ladies and gents. I hope you enjoyed that one. I hope I didn't fuck that up too much when I was talking. But we're going to take a quick break and be right back. Well, how's everybody doing today? This is good old friend Uncle Dickie from Borderline Texas Trash. The most popular podcast in the world today it's climbing up the charts faster than freaking slime on a stein baby well if you're wondering what the hell is borderline texas trash about and who is this some bitch uncle boo well uncle boo is the most recognizable voice in podcasting today babies we gonna get funky like a monkey on some ton of greens i'm coming in on white lightning baby on a silver saddle to bring you the best of borderline texas trash baby I'm your host of the show, Uncle Boo. We go over everything. We do a little bit of politics at the end, but not much. I don't step into that bullshit a whole lot. But we have fun. I go over stupid world news of the day, talk about uh, stuff from the past, what the cost of living or stuff was like that, and we just talk about all sorts of fucking fun facts, do a little joking around, and my niece joins the show sometimes. We do a little segment called Ash Handy's Garage on Friday nights, baby. That's our live show we do sometimes. And then I got the uncle that I talked to down in uh, Booseville, Louisiana. And he calls sometimes. We have a little show called Uncle Dickie's Corner. So you guys come check out Texas Borderline, Borderline Texas Trash, baby. I know you will love it. We are on every platform you can think of. Spotify, Stitcher. Pandora, iHeart, I mean, we're on everything. We're even on Podbean, man. We even got our own YouTube channel. We even got an Instagram account, and we got our Facebook account. So go check us out, man, and come listen to the show. You'll get to listen to Ash Handy, Uncle Boo, Uncle Dickie, and all the most recognizable voices in this motherfucking podcast in the world today, baby, because we will get funky like a monkey, I guarantee it. Let's just say, baby, I was wine and dine with kings and queens, slept in dumpsters, ate pork and beans, baby. But I am your host of the show, Uncle Boo, Borderline Texas Trash. Don't forget about it. If you want to listen to a show to just get your mind off this crazy world and all the COVID and politics bullshit, <coughs> come check my show out. Come check me and my crazy family out. Some of the shit we do, we do live uh, shows from the barbecue. So I'll see you later. Bye. 
All right, you guys ready? Here's our next story. And of course, it's one again happened with an axe. And this is the Lizzie Bardane house. <coughs> All right. The Lizzie Bardane, Bardane B&B is a small 1845 Creek Revival Victorian home that has, that is rectangular two-story dark green plain clamp wood on the side with customary well with the custom customary seal uh, seal with a customary ceiling and attic. Its windows are adorned with green shutters from the sidewalk. One can feel a creepiness it uh, it looks like that it looks like. The bed and breakfast breakfast is charming, well run and feels like the spirits are re- restless as in uneasiness can be picked up by the uh, can be picked up by the sensitive by sense by the mm, never mind it can be picked the people can sense it is what I'm trying to say no guest has ever heard though heard here or leaves in the uh, middle of the night spirits are polite but make their presence known of the killing Andrew Bardeen was a uh, widower after oh Okay, after his first wife, Sarah, died, he was left with two small daughters, Lizzie and Emma. When he, uh, when he married 36 years later, or 36 year, a 36-year-old Abby, an event that I bet Abby regretted many times. It was not a happy home life. Andrew was a bit of an old duck to start with what we call a uh, control freak with a mean attitude. Where was I? Attitude and mean. God, I hate it when I lose my place. Where was I? God dang it. Okay, uh... Mean attitude and several personality issues. Someone who should have who should not have children. One of his issues is far of losing uh, fast for far of fear of losing of his wealth. Though he would though he would become a banker, was extremely wealthy. He was also extremely tight with his money, insisting for instance that no food be thrown out. Thus, not wasting it. Many times, the family ate spoilt food. Gross. I mean, I can understand being tight, but goddamn. The family lived in the modest part of the town, uh, very frugal and tight-lished. He saw no valuable in the arts and prohibited them in his house and for his family. He ruled his household with a, a stern demeanor, not showing much love to anyone. Perhaps he tried in in his own way. He had a 
He had absolute control over everyone's behavior, sometimes enforcing his will in a mean manner, which is a form emotional and psych, uh, psycho, psych, emotional and psychology psycho. Anyways, he was uh, wasn't uh, physically abusive, but he was mentally abusive. That's what I'm trying to say. Uh, it is no wonder that it is no wonder that both Emma and Lizza were not married and still living at home in their in their thirties. Suitors would have been scared away by their father, and the sisters must have had issues with men being uh, wrapped by their uh, father's behavior. Sorry, I'm gonna switch my glasses. I gotta get my bifocals on. And then I'll be back with the Lizzie story. Ta-da! Bifocals. Okay, where was I? Okay, unfortunately, unfortunately, there was no love between Abby and the girls either, who strongly disliked their stepmother. Abby was stuck in a marriage of confidence, of, of confidence for years to pill a, to pill a man, to pill of a man, and saddled with the uh, responsibility of raising two stepdaughters with bad attitudes, who weren't her own. The daughters were raised in a regret overbearing atmosphere, probably transferring all their unhappiness that they had for their father into a more likely uh, escape goat, Abby. So they'd take their uh, frustrations out on Abby. Uh, what a uh, dysfunctional family. They really needed family therapy and at a time when there wasn't such a thing. To make matters worse, according to researchers, the late Arnold Brown, who wrote a book on the uh, subject, reports that unbalanced young men who claimed to be uh, Andrew, oh, he wrote the book, uh, reports that he was an unbalanced young man who claimed to be uh, Andrew's legitimate son. William shows up late in the game and demands to be recognized as his heir. Abby was very angry and upset, so Mr. Borden changed his will either to leave his money to Abby's family or to leave his money to charity. <coughs> but oh no, we know that ain't going to happen. This would leave Lizzie, Lizzie and Emma in the uh, spouse uh, and not the illegitimate son all of his money. Around 9 o'clock a.m. in the morning of August 4th, Abby, oh, Abby, their maid Maggie, and Lizzie were in the home. Mr. Brondon was uh, gone to the bank. Maggie was downstairs washing the windows. Abby went up to the guest bedroom on the second floor to straighten the room. They had, they had a guest the night before and late Sarah her brother John Morris and another person with 
particular reactions. Sometime between 9 and 10 in the guest room, Abby's killer pulled the window shade and looked at Abby, who whirled around to face her killer. The hatchet landed in uh, her forehead. Oh, this is the mother, the stepmother. The hatchet landed in her forehead, and she... Uh, and, she, and, and her face crumbled down on the floor next to the bed. So he hit her with the axe when she turned around and she fell face first in the floor. Her killer finishes her off by either straddling her body or sitting on her back to deliver the final 19 blows. God damn, you think that one wouldn't have been good enough? Meanwhile, Maggie supposedly went up to the third floor to rest. Mr. Borden uh, came home for lunch a bit earlier because he did not feel well. He laid down on the couch. His killer slipped through the uh, dining room and attacked him with the hatchet from behind. Mr. Borden did not uh, see it coming. The hatchet stopped after 11 blows. You ought to see the pictures. It's fucking gruesome. After the hatchet handled, uh, handle broke off because the uh, blade was uh, getting... Oh, the blade was caught in the skull, so one time, the last time it got caught in the skull and he broke the handle. What was thought to be the murder weapon and found downstairs in the uh, basement. It fit perfectly into the cuts made in Andrew's skull. Years later, a forensic expert, experts were able to determine that the same hatchet blade made by the rips in Abby's head and the... Uh, Hand, uh, hand scarf. So basically, he matched up the gadgets on their heads and body, and oh, yeah, it matches. The number of hatchet strikes of the body suggests that these murders were a crime of passion and hate. Well, yeah, to do that that many times, pointing to a family member with built up anger and rage, or perhaps. An unbalanced person ready to vent their emotions through murder. Most think that Lizzie did it, though some say that Lizzie and William were in cahoots and planned it out together. What a pair! Speculation, perhaps. Lizzie killed her stepmother while William did in who. What? Whole thought it was a bit. Oh. And they thought while she was killing her stepmom, he went down there to kill, to kill her dad. William did not handle rejection well. Or another theory is that William did both murders, though most of the evidence points to Lizzie. Supposedly, Lizzie found her father dead on the couch. She said that she told Maggie that her father is hurt and sent her to fetch the doctor and the neighbor. Her demeanor in front of the police was calm, unemotional despite finding her father and stepmother dead. And a big red flag to the policia. When they ask her, where is your mother, She's, uh, she coldly replied, she isn't my mother, she is my stepmother. She was arrested days later when her story about what happened kept changing Liz was charged with three first-degree murder counts for her father, her uh, stepmother, and another murder charge 
added for killing both Andrew and Abby. After a 10-day uh, crucial trial, Lizzie was found not guilty and because of lack of uh, hard evidence. That's why they couldn't nail her to it. Uh, where was I at? Lack of hard ev evidence. Tying her to the crimes and no witnesses came forward, forward to uh, link her to the crime. The injury was not willing to the jury was not willing to send her to death on what was presented uh in court that day. The circumstantial evidence wasn't enough to convince this jury of twelve men that deemed uh demeanor and something I uh to convict uh, a woman like Lizzie Borden. She was capable of these uh, vicious killings. Hence said expressed by the uh, Monday morning quarterbacking people in our area. I've come to the uh, general concession that the uh, police investigation and police practices at the uh, at the crime were not very good. Well, of course, back then they probably didn't have that good of uh, stuff. So, all right. See if they have. All right, here's some story about the ghost. The Lizzie Borden home is seen of the scene of a grisly unsolved murder hatchet killings, seventy years old. Mr. Andrew Borden and his second wife of sixty-four years old, Abby Borden. This infamous moment in history is the uh, sole case. Uh, five of the haunting going in the, going on in the house. So there's like five hauntings. People and animals who are brutally murdered experience painful end of uh, life and have been known to be able to let, have, it, have been known to not been able to let go of this world. Before she was killed, Abby Borden had found their maid, Cat, in the basement. With the... Uh, with his head hatched off. Oh my God! Perhaps someone was practicing the uh, was uh, practicing for the main event, the grisly hatch, hatchet murder. Come on! The grisly hatchet murder of Mister uh, Borden and his second wife, Annie Borden, was a uh, bloody and heroic way to die. Their mangled bodies were discovered on the day of their murders on August 4th of 1892. Adding insult to injury, I wonder how the Bordens feel that both Liz and their likely killer, Emma, who must have been, who must have known something, were buried in the family grave site next to them. Andrew and Abby must feel bitter now as the probable theory of how their uh, murder is now part of the house tour of their home <clears throat> that has been uh, restored and furnished just the way it was back in that time <clears throat> guilt for wrongdoing for lives mistaken can transform itself into an obsession causing relentless relentlessness that keeps spirits in the world Lizzie's version of what happened is being several te uh, teased in the world, in the uh, afterlife world. She seems to be stuck in 
her own hell, trying to trying to be sure that she got rid of all the evidence. In the basement, becoming a burning obsession, now the living are proclaiming her guilt and telling, telling how they think she did it. The tour was took in nineteen or nineteen in two thousand twenty. The tour guide went through the uh, house on how the she killed her parents, and as we were taken uh, through each room, it was creepy. They said, "Okay, here's some of the man manifestations." Actually, okay, here are some of their experience. Of uh, people that have worked there and done, you know, their paranormal investigations. The lights had been mid off their own. The lights had a mind of their own, turning on and off. The owners would be uh, in a room. In the front of them, the wall switch would flick, would flick and turn the lights on or off. When no one was upstairs, the second, third, the second, third floors... The Maguins and their staff would hear doors open and close. Excuse me. Followed by footsteps. Shadow people have been seen, especially on the staircase going down the main hallway and walking to other parts of the house. Owners of the home have been have seen shadow people move around different parts of the house. Sometimes staff and guests can feel someone brush against them on the stairs in various parts of the home, too. A shadow of a woman in an actual apparition that looks like Lizzie has been down in the basement, down in the basement by all the owners. The staff and some guests as well have seen her down there. Disembodied voices have been heard as well. Owner of the uh, place felt the uh, cold touch of a finger run down her back one day. When she quickly turned around, nobody was there. What do you say to them apples, boys? All right. Well, I do got one more story and we'll do one more break. See how long this one is. You know, it's already uh, did two stories. I don't want to have to break into that one and then stop it. Because I like to do about a 40-minute to an hour episode. But I didn't bring enough water today, and I'm pretty parched. So I'm going to cut this one a little short. But we'll pick it up real good next week. I'll give you a little hint. This one's about the Nax murderer, too. But this one's about an Nax murderer in New Orleans. I'll tell you the rest of the story next week on episode 126, my friends. <laughs> but I hope you guys enjoy these two. I'm trying to do something like that since it's Halloween. Do something where murders really happen and the house is like straight up haunted from, haunted from what happened there. So I got some good stories brewing. So you guys keep listening. Have a great day. Be spooky and scary, guys, because it is the spooky time of year, man. I love this time of year. But this has been uh, Stephen LaBooth with Ghost Stories from the South, guys. Remember, check me out on Facebook. Check me out on Spotify. Uh, it's all Ghost Stories Told from the South, Instagram. Go check us out. I mean, we're on any podcast where you can uh, 
listen to music or find your podcast, you'll find mine. And don't forget about Borderline Texas Trash. And if you like sports, uh, I got a sports one called When Sports Collide, a little football, a little wrestling. And then I have one with Steph called What's Really Out There. And we talk about, you know, UFOs or unsolved mysteries and stuff like that. So, And Jackson and me and him have one called Wrestling 101 with Jackson. So check them out, man. Them are all <coughs> booth podcasting that uh, productions there. So check them out. I will see you guys later. Be spooky and be real. But we'll be out of here and see you then, guys. Mwahaha. Bye.